Don't get yeah. stuck in this cycle of waiting or for a promotion. I, we've all been there. How many times do I have to talk to you about my accomplishments and show you yeah. that I'm worth the promotion just because I've only been here for a year? Well, I've done what other people have done in two years. So should yeah. I be the one being promoted, right? So that really was the impetus for me starting my own business. I wanted to take control of my career and feel like I'm delivering value in places that I get excited about. Hey everyone, welcome to Well That Was Unexpected. I'm your host, Carla Isabel Carstens, but you can call me Carla. I'm a luxury fashion publicist turned marketing consultant and a creative industry career coach. I've helped my clients pivot from finance to fashion, fashion to tech, get jobs with brands and companies like Louis Vuitton, Michael Kors, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Estee Lauder, land speaking gigs at South by Southwest, and so much more. If you can't tell, I believe that life's too short to do just one thing. I'll help you transform your what ifs into what's next. With new episodes launching every Thursday, each episode is designed to make you both laugh and inspire the confidence within you to expand the possibilities for your own life. They'll feature conversations with guests who've made real, raw, and inspiring career and lifestyle pivots that will make you think, what? How did they do that? But once you listen to their stories, sharing exactly how they made things happen, you'll realize just how possible it is for you to make a similar change, no trust fund required. Hi everyone, welcome back. Today we have my friend, Alston Chang, the founder of Acacia Consulting, which provides recruiting strategy for seed through series B companies and also offers career coaching for those who want to transition into or level up in the technical side of the tech industry. Previously, he was an in-house recruiter at a few companies you may have heard of, like LinkedIn, WeWork. So yeah, Austin, thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited, Carla. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to chat today. Yeah, it's long overdue. When I came up with this idea, you were actually on the list of my ideal guests. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. And I guess we'll just hop right in. As you know, given that I'm in the career coaching biz, just like you, I inevitably have a lot of conversations with people about their career. Mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with you in the past. And yes. yours is by far the most diverse I've come across. I thought mine was pretty diverse, but yours is next (laughs) level. Can you walk us through starting with your initial career aspirations in high school? Absolutely. We'll preface by saying I think what's driven me a lot is just curiosity. So early on in high school, I did everything from student government and leadership. I was class president every year. I played tennis growing up. And so my first job actually was a tennis coach and I would do uh, summer sessions with kids during the summer, which then inspired me my junior and senior year to actually build my own tennis camp locally in California, which I built with another coach, Kylie, who I'm still very close with. I interned at an investment bank in high school. I also interned for the mayor of Oakland at one point. 
And I think all of those experiences early on helps me become a really strong communicator because those are all very different types of roles in communication. And at that point, to be honest, I was very ambitious, but completely lost. I did not leave high school knowing what that clear career path would look like, but I knew I had to drive. So in college, I explored the study psychology and my mom was actually an educator for most of her early career. And so I wanted to study early childhood development and get into teaching. Okay. Realized I, I liked money. <laughs> so <laughs> naturally, I moved into fashion PR. So I graduated because college. <laughs> it's just, you know, cash right. money and fashion PR. <laughs> because fashion PR really pays you the big bucks. And yeah. it was my first role. It was really... The role was essentially showroom. So you're working with celebrities coming in, pushing brands. The founder of the PR agency actually originated the gifting suite concept. So there was a little bit of notoriety there and was very cool to learn from her. I didn't enjoy it. The pay was low. And so I actually moved back home to San Francisco and with my parents and applied to our trusty Craigslist job board back in the day. In there. (laughs) And I applied to a sales job. I was like, hey. I'm really great at speaking and I like people. So why not get into sales? Did an interview on Friday, got the job on the spot. First day was Monday. I'm sitting at the desk. I don't know what company I took a job at. Turns out it was a technical recruiting role where they positioned it as sales, which is true. You know, in a traditional agency recruiting style, you are doing a two-way sell. So you're selling clients to gain requisitions and you're selling candidates to essentially take the jobs. And very interesting culture, hyper-masculine, very buttoned up. You're wearing a suit. I would describe it very boiler room-esque. You're making 300 cold calls a day. You're going in person. You're doing happy hour drinks. You're going to steak dinners with clients and schmoozing them. And I really succeeded in that environment. And within a year and a half, I was the number one biller in the company. And I got a promotion of a lifetime to move to New York City. and moved here in 2013 to build a completely new startup team. And what that meant was, this is completely exploratory. We think there's a market for it, but we've never done it before. And this market was product management and UI and UX. So I was 23, bright-eyed, not jaded yet, moved to the city. Not yet. And I grew my team to about five recruiters and we built a million dollars in our first year. And by that time, I was very burnt out, but I knew I liked sales still, right? There was that like, there was sort of a connection. And a friend of mine did sales at LinkedIn and selling LinkedIn products to agency recruiters. So I was like, oh, another connection. Why don't I explore that? And so LinkedIn was sort of the first big tech company that I ever worked at. And that role was very focused on upselling clients to buy more LinkedIn products. So LinkedIn jobs, advertising slots you'll see on your LinkedIn page, the LinkedIn recruiter searching tool that we all love and use in the agency side or recruiting side in general. And did that for about three years. But at the end of my sales career, I wanted to get back into recruiting. And so my first sales manager at the company called JobSpring, the agency I worked at, knew somebody who was hiring for WeWork. And this is the time where WeWork was 
positioning their product as a technical product and they needed engineering recruiters. So I was brought on as the third engineering recruiter in New York to focus on building out one of their business segments called product offerings and growth. So that was my first internal recruiting job and sort of spiked my career into the differences between agency and internal. I would say internal is definitely more process driven in terms of making sure that hiring managers are organized. You have your job descriptions, things like that. Versus on the agency side, you're more specifically candidate focused because that's where you make your money. And most recently, I was the head of talent for a company called Streamlight, which was an early stage Series A company backed by Gradient, which is Google's AI venture fund, GGV, and yeah, and Sequoia. And I built their talent organization from the ground up, zero to one, and we scaled from 19 to 60 employees during the time of COVID remote. And we got sold to Snowflake for $800 million last March. And we saw that. Yes. And that gave me the confidence to start Acopsia. So amazing. I mean, I'm always blown away when I hear you talk through your background. Mm -hmm. Just to take a step back. Sure. How did you get internships in high school? Because that's such a rarity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sometimes asked this by people in my DMs, like they know that they want to do X immediately mm-hmm. and they're 16. And personally, I feel like you have your entire life to work. So mm-hmm. you know what? Focus on going to prom and having your first kiss or something. You know, you have all of college to intern. So like, you know, you don't need to feel like you are you're not doing what you need to be doing if you're not interning in high school. But I, you know, with the caveat Mm -hmm. that you should be involved in some capacity, like with student government, like extracurriculars. But how did you, how did you even get an internship at an investment bank or like with the mayor? That's insane. That's that's really, okay. I got to think back to this. So the investment bank was Craigslist. I applied on Craigslist and I went in for an interview and they were like, you're the youngest intern we would have ever had, but we feel comfortable putting you on the phone cold calling. Like, yeah, honestly, I, Carla, I remember calling Martha Stewart's office at 16 years old, trying oh to get Martha God. Stewart on the phone. It was the most intense well, thing. Oh, well, like, iconic. And? It's iconic. Yeah. And, and hello, and is just, Martha there? Hey, Martha, what's up? And it's so interesting. You're, it, it, there's something about like not having those past experiences of getting rejected that at that age, mm-hmm. you're like, what? Why wouldn't I try to call Martha Stewart? Why wouldn't I try? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess also, I guess if like, we're really thinking this through, it was such a different time when you and I were mm-hmm. interning. And I know you're a little, you're a little younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's like, you got to have school credit. So maybe things like legally, things were a little different, but who knows? I just think it was really interesting. Did your parents encourage you to intern? Yes. So my parents were, I come from a very traditional Asian household and my parents are extremely academic. And I know we had a conversation about that, but they really pushed getting a wide variety of experience so that you could understand what you liked and what you didn't like, right? I think yeah. there's two philosophies, right? One is I know exactly what job I want and I'm going to go get that versus buy a bunch of things, fail at a bunch of things, then you can craft it. My mom's friend had a connection to the mayor of Oakland at the time. And so okay. I did an intro to, their, to them and they were like, sure, you can do Oops. copy. 
on proclamations or I don't even know what they were called. So I was just like there. <laughs> I'm like envisioning a scroll. <laughs> a scroll, no. Literally a proclamation. And I would like type, type out their accomplishments and then I would send it and then like have it reviewed and they would sign it. So that was my summer internship. <laughs> we are aging ourselves like insanely right now. Okay. And then another thing that I was hoping you would quickly go over just sure. in terms of like the lexicon of you know recruiting just because i know it, until i really got into the thick of my career you know fashion mm-hmm. it, it's they're not staffed as largely as you know a linkedin would be or you know we didn't have recruiters we had you know an office manager who was also hr also with mm-hmm. a recruiter and frankly i didn't even know there was a difference between a recruiter and hr until like a few years ago when I really started working in tech myself. So would you mm-hmm. mind just quickly for the listeners talking through like the difference of HR, recruitment, and how mm-hmm. that like internal recruitment, et cetera. So I think people Absolutely. really don't know. And I still, I'll be honest, I think it is still a great debate in HR, how HR organizations are structured, but I will go through it high level. So how yeah, I view level. it HR HR is responsible for the strategic implementation of the people functions, everything that relates to culture and process, policies and procedures, internal things, ERGs, employee resource groups, things like that. Talent acquisition typically falls within HR in some organizations or it can actually be a separate function. But the talent acquisition organization is solely responsible for attracting people. So that can be recruiting direct roles. Also, the top branding side, what is our messaging to potential people who are interested in our company? What is it like to work here? And educating candidates sort of through that end-to-end process to get them interested and closed. So I would say, so talent acquisition is the sales arm of HR. Okay, that makes sense. And sales being getting people through the door to come work at your company. Okay, this is beautiful. Even I'm learning something, guys. All right, so so thanks for that clarification, but back into the good stuff. No, that wasn't good, but the tea. So I remember the first time we met, shout out Mm -hmm. Andrew Benton. We love him. The most beautiful man. Andrew. Yes. We love him. He is a supporter of the podcast, but you know, we met socially and then we ended up going out and having a very fun and boozy lunch. And in said lunch, you mentioned that you wanted to start your own business. And I was thrilled about this because mm-hmm. you radiate entrepreneurial vibes. And I truly felt that a voice like yours was missing in the coaching space, especially when you think about tech. Icon comes to mind when I think of Austin. And so, oh. yeah, dude, you guys need to check out this guy's Instagram. It's epic. I'm blessed. But so would you talk us through, you know, now that you've left Xander, what are you up to now? And what inspired you to start your own business? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, with a resume like yours, I feel like it must it must have been like really enticing just to continue down the path of internal recruitment with these big tech startups. Like you had you ticked the boxes with the big name. So it's kind of like you could likely land an interview at a majority of places with really mm-hmm. great pay. So I'd love to hear, you know, 
what you're doing and what kind of pushed you to do your own thing? Absolutely. That's, it's a good question. So I think I've always known I've wanted to start my own business. And even when we met probably seven years ago, that was our first conversation. I was like, Hey, I'm starting to think about this. I just didn't have the confidence to do it. And I think this past role at Streamlit really gave me the confidence because it allowed me to connect with VC firms, work with founders who have, you know, backgrounds at Google and they have Mm -hmm. patents and they're super educated and smart. I founded my own company because we provide recruiting strategy for early stage startups. And that's something that I'm really excited about. I get excited about helping people find jobs, but I think one of the big things missing in, in the talent world is actually putting the right strategy together. And so that was one thing. I knew that there was an area of opportunity. The second thing is, why can't I do this for myself? I've seen so many people take on that role and responsibility. But as I look back in my career, I really struggled to look in a room and see people that I said, hey, that person in executive leadership or in a management role reflects my personal values, who I am. And as you'll see in my background, you know, I've struggled to stay long-term, quote unquote, in companies, right? I don't have a traditional, I got promoted two times in a company for Rex roles. I've jumped probably every year and a half, year and eight months, because I, what's important to me is my ethos. I want to show people that you can still be authentically you and carve your own career path. Like nothing is linear. And I think there's a lot of business podcasts that we've both listened to that talk about that, but it is very true. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like this place is providing you creative space to grow, to improve your career. Why stay? Don't get yeah. stuck in this cycle of waiting or for a promotion. I, we've all been there. How many times do I have to talk to you about my accomplishments and show you yeah. that I'm worth the promotion just because I've only been here for a year? Well, I've done what other people have done in two years. So should I be the one being promoted, right? So that really was the impetus for me starting my own business. I wanted to take control of my career and feel like I'm delivering value in places that I get excited about. That's awesome. And, you know, we've talked about at length personally, how frustrating it is to have a career Mm -hmm. where you feel forced to be something you're not. And I know there are versions of that can be incredibly empowering for people, like how Beyonce, she has that alter ego that she taps into Sasha Fierce when she needs to perform. But if you know, see her actually interview, she's much more reserved and she saved that alter ego for I think I read an interview. She's like, when I start putting my shoes on, that's when I start, like before a show, that's when Sasha Fierce enters the room. Enters. And, you know, one of my favorite things about working for myself is that I can be authentically me the majority of the time. And I say the majority because, you know, if we go to drinks, you know, I'm, I'd probably sprinkle in some curse words, you know, or wear a crop top. These are things that I would never do in an investor meeting or client meeting. So I loved hearing that, you know, that's something you and I both bonded on and really one of the most empowering parts about doing your own thing. Because 
at the end of the day, I only want to work with people who like how I show up and I show up like myself from the very first moment they meet me. So I know you have some interesting tales of how Mm -hmm. you kind of went through this. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I love that comparison. I always certainly feel like when I put on the look good, feel good, do good. When I put on an outfit and I'm feeling really confident, I'm coming in there. Not hot necessarily, but just being who I am and providing ideas in the Mm -hmm. right way. And oftentimes you're stifled because people don't like the authentic you. They're not going to respect your ideas. I think there's been sort of two pivotal moments in my career where I really was suppressed in a certain way. So not I'll caveat this with like, I like being in spaces where I'm completely the opposite. So like I was in a fraternity in college, for example, on the agency side, if we go back to my first job out of college, we had to wear suits every day. This was a hyper masculine environment, right? Like I literally think I was the only gay person or Asian person in the whole like city division, right? So, you know, and then we started meeting, one of our roles is going to meet with tech founders in San Francisco. And I'm showing up in a suit. I used to wear bow ties because like, I'm not wearing a tie, I'm gonna wear a a bow tie. Yeah, And I would walk into a founder's office and they're in t-shirts and casual. (laughs) And you just look like such a schmuck walking in there with a suit. And I'm like, I should be able to dress the way I want to dress. If I'm gaining business being me, that's inspiring. I should be able to do that, right? So that was one kind of click. The second is when I joined LinkedIn, which I was, it was one of those jobs you get the offer and you're like, I I can't believe I got it. And it was a sales environment as well. And I was the only Asian person and openly gay person on my team. So immediately you're like, am I at the diversity hire here or is it my skill? Right. Yeah. But then it brings up this larger point around what does diversity actually mean? And when I took a look at that scope and I was talking, getting to know my teammates, we all came from the same kind of background. So just Physically, I might be a diversity hire, but like thought of thinking was still the same. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting. I, you know, it's really easy to to not dig deeper beyond the external, uh, you know, and start realizing like, yeah, you checked a box of like, here's a Hispanic girl. Here's like Mm -hmm. the aging gay man. But like, you know, we were really lucky to have parents who supported us and you know, and that are doing well themselves. So we were given certain opportunities that others weren't. And absolutely, I mean, to be able even like, how do you even dig deep that deep in terms of your candidate pool? But I guess that's like a completely different conversation. Oh, wait, I I will stay. Can I just do this one point at LinkedIn? During my time at LinkedIn was my New York fashion renaissance. I was exploring with every different things, right? I have short hair now, but I used to have very long hair. And you met me actually when I had a little man bun. Yeah. Great. So, you know, I'm like two years into living in New York and I'm like, I'm living in a fashion capital of the world that I am excited to explore this. So I would be flying to Ohio was one of my territories and I was wearing wide leg, high-waisted Navy pants with like a heeled loafer and like a purple turtleneck and a man bun just going in there, educating my clients about LinkedIn with just sheer shock on their faces. They were like, 
Who is this? Hello, Tim Columbus. Hi, from, <laughs> from New York. It's me, bitches. <laughs> I was great. And I would just roll around. I would walk around in the office and fun out. And like, you can sell software being you and you don't have to just wear a button up. So I just want to add that in there because I think it's a fun story. Yeah. And then I'm glad that they didn't attempt to stifle and like clearly mm-hmm. you you crushed and crushed it. You nailed it. That's amazing. Okay. So back to your business. Y'all have this idea of like, okay, I'm going to start my first business on the side. You know, I'm going to test and learn and grow it. And then once I start making money, then I'll quit. But that was not something you had the luxury of doing since mm-hmm. it your business directly competed with your day job. And you would have gotten fired in like two seconds. And basically you had to take the plunge and quit your job and hope for the best. What was that like? And, you know, did you experience any doubt? Like, how did you navigate that? Absolutely. And that's actually a good point that you bring up because I think some people can start a side hustle that is completely different, but there's just, you can't compete in that talent pool. Definitely a lot of insecurity. I think it stems early on in the sales days where I would go to client meetings and I would get asked constantly, how old are you? And it's just stuck in my mind, like, hey, you should never ask somebody that. <laughs> so my biggest insecurity is just ageism. I look younger and I get nervous that people don't respect my thoughts and mm-hmm. my experience because of how I look. And so I was always held back. I'm like, maybe I need to add one more role on my background before I do this, right? How I actually demonstrate founder by value to founders and build a relationship with them, like they're automatically going to judge me. And it that set me back. The other thing is I come from a family that is highly educated. Like they both have their MBAs and they just instilled in me that you can't be successful if you didn't follow that path, right? Didn't go to an Ivy League school. You don't have your MBA. How are you going to go and gain business? And the final push was I had to listen to my body. You know, at late last year during the holiday time, I was experiencing mass thoughts of like eczema on my arm, on my eyes. I had gone to the ER for a panic attack. You just the responses to what I was doing were affecting my mental health and my physical health. And I was talking with my partner and he's like, you need to figure this out. This is not healthy. And I just said, hey, no matter what it takes, I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to do a quick Google search. What do I need to do? How do I formulate an LLC? What are the components that I need to do and just get started? So I think when you have any experience of doubt, it's important to find something or someone that is going to advocate for that push and just take one step. Just do yeah. one thing. And when you accomplish that one thing, then you really gain the confidence to keep exploring. And I needed that push. That is a lot. And I have to say, man, I also get eczema on my eyes. It just started like two years ago. That yeah. shit hurts. It hurts. Oh my gosh, it is. And it's like such like my eyelids. And it's so crazy that your body, like your brain will like constantly ignore and like convince you that everything is cool. Like I'm fine. And then your body will just like, it's like last resort. 
it just crashes. And, you know, and that just sounds like a lot to get through. And it, you know, your partner, clearly you were leaning on him when you were Mm -hmm. initially creating and launching your business, like shout out to him. You know, that's really great that he saw and was able to take a step back and like advocate for your abilities and also remind you who the F you are. Let's be honest. Yes, let's Um, be honest. Was there anybody else that you initially like leaned on to create Mm. and launch your business? And like, did anyone discourage you? Because I've definitely gotten some discouragement from Mm. well-meaning people in my life. They just really wanted to have my back and they thought I was just doing too much. Yes, there's nothing more humbling than starting your business because it shows you who around you is actually your true leader because there are so many people that will tell you to your face that they support you and throughout the actions they don't. It's a good question. You're like, where Where are you? you? Where are you? Yeah. You said you wanted to help me and now a girl can't get a text back, but you want to know where I'm at right now on Friday night? Goodbye. Cut. Adios. Yeah. I think the beautiful thing about New York and how I've chosen really to experience New York is meeting a lot of different people and being able to express to a wide variety of people like what you're interested in, right? And so I think having a strong support system of people that you look up to like yourself, I mean, you were one of the early on folks and Andrew Benson as well, were just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this at all. You need to start your business. Yeah. And even, you know, I have I have a wide variety of social circles. So I have like my gay you friends. Really do. I have my, I have my gay friends, I have my straight girlfriends, I have my straight guy friends. And there's always the same theme where people meet me or they introduce me to their friends at a party, similar to how we met. Mm-hmm. And they look at me when I tell them when I wasn't working for myself and I said what I did in pure, utter shock. I could like, right? wait, you're a tech recruiter? Yes. <laughs> for engineers? Wait. What? You don't work in fashion? Yes. And I still get that now, but I think that I, because I run my own business, I can also work with specific types of clients too. I I think having that relationship and honestly, just kind of hearing it from other people, because sometimes you miss what your strengths are. If other people can't point them out to you, you're telling yourself what you're constantly not good at, which is kind of how I operate is like the self-talk is important. So the other thing too, is keeping up with mentors Shout out to like my female mentors throughout my career that I've always looked up to that check in on me. And I also check in on them and I bounce by ideas back and forth with them. Just any idea, right? It could be a fashion trend I'm exploring or how I'm positioning a part of my business. But I think the interesting thing to your question is actually the discouragement. And I think that's important. So I love my parents. They've given me wealth of opportunities, but they are not the standout type, right? So they are first-generation immigrants who really fought for their place here and both went to Ivy League schools, got their MBAs, and have both now launched their businesses. But that was not the path that they wanted for me. They wanted more, okay, get your MBA, work in finance, and build your career that way and never take any risks. Coupled with the fact that don't take risks because basically you're a gay person. 
you will not get far ahead in your career because you're gay. So you need to dress a certain way. Don't do certain things that our people are going to judge you for, right? So I, I think their intention was to not let me get hurt, but it led mm-hmm. to a lot of limiting beliefs about what I yeah. can actually accomplish, right? And so I tell this story about my founder journey a lot because I actually didn't tell my parents I started my business until about two months into it. Because if I had done that, they would have been spotlighting things about me that they were insecure about, which then I would internalize. So I made the decision early on that like, I'm going to launch this and build it and then come to them and say, hey, I quit my job. It's already done. And I actually have X clients, which was that the right approach? I don't know, but it worked out. And I, I had to remove that so that I could actually do something for myself. Yeah. I mean, parental support is so difficult to navigate. And I can definitely relate. I've mm-hmm. spoken about this before on the podcast with you. And, you know, my my parents were not initially supportive of my career path in fashion. I mean, the the weird shady things they would do to try to get me to not go that route was like honestly next level like shout out to my mom it was she's a mastermind i love her and things are drastically drastically are drastically different now and i absolutely understand where they were coming from you know they were just scared and they were trying to protect me and they just didn't realize that it was coming off as them doubting me, my decision-making, and my abilities. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I was capable of. And it hurt. And, you know, they threatened to cut me off. Not We're not going to pay for college. You know, mm-hmm. when you fail, this is what's going to happen. And it, they follow, it makes sense. They followed a much more direct career path that ends in almost guaranteed success. And I say that with a grain of salt because I, you know, doesn't happen for everyone, but both are, they're both doctors. You go to medical school, you become a doctor, and then mm. you get ah, like cash money, six to your income. And it's like, as long as you do the things you need to do, you are guaranteed a comfortable life to a certain capacity. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. they didn't have any experience in the fashion industry and didn't understand it. And they just were trying to protect me. And it sounds like your parents are doing the same thing. Like they just want to protect you. And now they celebrate every idea or career move I make. I feel really lucky, but in the thick of it, it's just really hard because you, that, for me, this lack of support was happening when I was in high school. And I'm now able as an adult in my late thirties, I'm able, I've grown more. I have more perspective. A lot of my friends are parents, so I can see it. But like when you're in it, it's just, it's tough. It sucks. And it's so tough because there was almost the resentment part where you're like, I'm your child. You shouldn't be like, you should always be supporting me. But then you also understand yeah. now, like how hard it really is to start from scratch somewhere. Right. It's actually because their beliefs came from the fact that they had no idea how it even worked. Right? They it didn't like, even, oh, they just go don't to, want us where? to, st- like, they didn't want us to struggle like they mm-hmm. did because 
Yes. My dad immigrated from Guatemala. His mother, you know, she was sold into marriage when she was 12 years old and wow. escaped. She ended up becoming the first woman doctor in Central America. She was educated by a convent. It was insane. Came to the States. He came. And, you know, he, you know, he had a very different life than I did. And my mom, mm-hmm. same, you know, she grew up in Puerto Rico and her mom had like a bazillion jobs. And my mom had to take care of the family while, you know, her mom and dad worked. And they just wanted us to like, have it easier, but have it easy. It's like, I know I want to be happy. And that that, it's the trade off, right? Like being happy might be a harder path. I also just, I remember visually seeing like I don't want to go in an elevator and then be a zombie and like walk into an office (laughs) I don't want to be a check and check out person too but I think they also didn't understand that they already provided the safety net for me to be able to think bigger right I appreciate everything I the only reason I know I can test things out is because of the experiences that you've given me and show me, right? And both my parents are now entrepreneurs. And actually, I don't think we talked about this yet, but my mom and I actually work together now on certain projects because she actually transitioned to doing ed ed tech. So she's actually building an interview simulator, an AI interview simulator where you can actually practice interview responses and it helps you. And it's actually on my website and we work on this together. Yeah. I was going to say, we need, I'm going to link to your website. So everybody can check this out. What a shift in perspective, right? Like now she's coming to me to say, hey, like my engineering team is building this. Like what applications could you use it on in the recruiting space? And as the interview similar, this is how it would work. And so now we work together. Funny, huh? Ridiculous. How full circle. (laughs) You're like, hey, it's me. Yeah. I'm here. So now I'm going to invoice you more for all your trip down. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My rate is actually five X higher. (laughs) You're like weird. It's a tax. It's a random tax that happens. I don't know. I don't get it. It's my influencer. Okay. So this is amazing. And you said something interesting that like this idea of not wanting to be a zombie at work and Mm -hmm. actually posted a episode last week about what to do if you hate your job. If you feel that zombie vibe, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice for people who might feel this way? Of course, I'm so opinionated. Okay, let me think. Love so, it. yes, I would say the first thing is network with people that resonate with you. I think oftentimes we network with people who we think we should be networking with, and we don't network with people who resonate with what we're we're looking for, but also who resonate with you personally. Like, go on that friend date, ask that person if they're not in a related industry, but they're interesting to you, like ask them questions. That's the only way that you're going to allow yourself more perspective. The second thing is, I think you have to really listen to yourself. If it's something that doesn't feel right and you don't envision your future in that job, right? If you're looking at two ladders up or what that role promotion might mean, a 10% pay increase is not worth being miserable in your job. Right. You, if you move to another job, forget the statistic. I think it's like typically a 20% plus increase if you leave a company, right? Correct. There's always that, 
there's always that debate, right? Oh, the new hire actually makes more than me. Why is that? Well, they were external. Well, that's a topic for another day. But yeah, listen to yeah. yourself. I think find a path by making a calculated decision based on the things that you've already accomplished. So what I mean by that is you have to sit with yourself and really think about what parts of my career have I been most effective and what did I like and what I didn't like, and then carve something out from that, right? If it's just a steady paycheck, great, but make that calculated decision and build your inner self-talk to know that you are worth it. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. And I actually want to say something that, or share something that you are very good at. And I don't think I've ever told you this, but Mm -hmm. something, and it goes back to your first point about networking and learning from other people and people like, it's not about like hitting the chat box of networking, you know, like people in your inner circle plus one, like one removed or something that you really resonate with, like how you reach out to me and we're like, we always see each other, but we never actually like do anything. But something I really appreciated that you did, and I'm not even sure you remember this, is that before we went out to lunch, you told me that you wanted to talk about business stuff. And I did. Yes. But I loved it because there's nothing more disappointing when you think you're going to go out with a friend and have like a fun drink or like a boozy lunch. And then they hit you with the like picking your brain because then you feel like, do they even really want to be my friend? It's Mm -hmm. like this weird self-doubt thing that I sometimes experience that I get so excited to spend time with somebody. And then I just, I respected you so much. And it allowed me to come into this lunch understanding that you wanted to hang out with me and like Carla, but you also wanted to explore this other part of me. So I felt Mm -hmm. very seen on both sides, whereas sometimes I feel a little used by people. And you and I have a very healthy balance of helping each other out because you help Mm -hmm. me too. But you also have like, we have the boundary of like, this is our night to go to Zero Bond and like have martini time and like yes. very large steaks. And <laughs> it's just, you know, when you, story for another time, guys, Alton and I. Oh my God, that. And had, I should post this on my Instagram stories. Alton's face being presented with the, the largest piece of steak I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. We each got one. But anyway, the point is that like, there, it's, there's a nuanced way to approach your friends about mm. support that you do so beautifully and some people forget to do. So I just want to flag that like oh. this advice is fantastic, but don't forget to acknowledge the friendship side of the coin when mm-hmm. you are asking for support from them. Because when all of a sudden all the texts change to like we were saying earlier, you just mm-hmm. want favors, but you're no longer interested in hanging. I lose motivation. I want to help my friend. I love that. It's the, I, here's my differentiator. Are you texting me? I miss you. Or are you asking me, how are you doing? They're very different. 
I miss you Ooh. is acknowledge me because we I haven't seen you. And the how are you is I need to know how are you doing, not just a blanket statement, right? And I think being the friend who is someone who remembers things, whether that is personal or professional, is so important as you get older because one, we don't have time to waste people that we don't get excited about hanging out with no. personally and Pass. personally, right? And two, you have to combine great minds and that's super important. Surround yourself with people who are ID generators, who are inspiring. And uh, thank you for that compliment, Carla. I think you've been somebody who in every interaction has motivated me to be a better friend, but also be a better business person and think bigger. Like you've really pushed me to think big that I can do it. And so I forever cherish like all our interactions, whether we're eating a very large steak and having martinis in Miami or we are in my apartment working on business plans. Oh my away. God. <laughs> Square spacing. I love it. Oh my God. I love it so much. All right. Love fast. Love it. So I want to talk about interviewing. And mm -hmm. I know one of the services you offer is interview coaching. A lot of people really struggle with this. And although you and I focus on different industries, technically, I think that advice regarding interviewing is relevant, whether you're in tech and you're an engineer or you're in fashion and in PR. What are the three biggest mistakes you see people make and what should they be doing differently? Question. Okay, so... on the spot. <laughs> I know. Okay, so I'll start with my general philosophy. My general philosophy with interviewing and how I coach my clients is all about storytelling. What is your story? Right? And that's just the general premise of getting from point A to point Z. So the first thing that I notice people don't do that they should be doing is describing the impact of their role using stories and setting specific examples. So the big question you're going to receive at any interview is, tell me about yourself. Oftentimes, yes. I'm getting too high level of an overview. I've already read your resume. I've already seen your LinkedIn. I've already read your cover letter. I want to know in those roles, what is your direct impact? Tell me a story. I built X and it generated Y revenue, right, as an example, or I managed X team of these people and we were able to launch the largest marketing launch that executed. Boom. Give me numbers. Give me specifics, right? Tell me that story. The second I would say is show me who you are. Tell me about you and your outside passions. What makes you special outside of your job and your career? Interviews are oftentimes about connection. Not oftentimes. They are. Interviews are about connection and yes. finding common threads. Whether that is a job description to a resume, whether that is a hiring manager to a person, it is all about connection. Find I those things, right? I say and of then, the best interviews, it's a ping pong match, not a mm -hmm. like slam serve, you know, down mm -hmm. the line. You nailed it. Like you want it to be a fun game. Back and forth. Yes. And that's actually good advice. If your interview is not 50-50 and you're spending time answering someone's question with no back and forth, it's that is a red flag. Yeah. It's like, oh. The other, the last thing 
is that I oftentimes, maybe you see this too, I often get clients who are come to me when they're already frustrated, right? Yep. I've applied to X amount of jobs. I've had X amount of interviews and I don't know. The first question, I'm like, well, what has been your strategy? Exactly. Oftentimes, it's, I just been applying for jobs online. Well, you need to take a larger initiative and communicate your story. Be very specific. Build a target company list, right? Of these are the types of companies I want to work at work at because of X reason. And say that in your message. Like there's nothing more boring, to be honest, than saying, Hi, I'm really interested in your product marketing job. Here's my resume. Zero yeah. context, zero story. I know nothing about you. Right. Love your product company mission. I actually use your product or I use your software. Here's how totally. I use it. And I would love to be able to be part of the team. So, yeah, I would say describe the impacts of your role. Show me who you are and take initiative. This is so amazing. I also feel like I passed a career coach test. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Why? I yes. Did the same, I did the same thing. <laughs> yes. A star. A star. Oh, wow. A plus. But Alston. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. Everyone, I'm going to drop all the links, including the eczema cream, in the podcast notes. So if you have any questions about Alston, his background, maybe you want to check out that interview simulator. But also, I'm definitely going to have Alston back. We were talking about doing an Ask a Recruiter type of podcast. So if you have any questions that you'd want to ask a recruiter, make sure to DM me or email me. All the information to find me is in the podcast notes. But Alston, thanks again. I love you. I love you. I love you. And thanks for all the great advice. Thank you, Carla. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for having me. This has been a really special recording session and I can't wait for the second one. I know. It's going to be great. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.